is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. Hello, hello, hello. Rachel, Rachel has often asked me when I come on stage, do you think about what you're wearing? No, I don't think about what I'm wearing until today. This is what happens when I think about what I'm wearing. <laughs> this is why I don't. Um, well, today, today everybody, um, I, I like to use props. Today, I am the prop. So the prop is me. And there's a reason we're going to do, I'm, do, I'm dressed like this. So I'm going to quickly give you a few little stats. In 2010, there were nearly 40,000 personal trainers in the UK. By 2020, there was 70,000. In 2010, there were 2 million people in the country who ran at least once a week, and now there are at least 6 million. In 2010, there were 160,000 applicants for the London Marathon. This year, there were 457,000. A run-repeat survey suggests that 30% of every runner in our country started after the pandemic or during the pandemic. We are a society who, who put a lot, of, a lot of our attention into fitness. And when we think of running, we often think of a person running. One person running a marathon, exhausted, out of breath, eyes open, trying to get to the, open mouth, trying to get to the finish line. That is what most people think of when you hear running. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beat in the air. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In the Bible, it often equates spiritual fitness with running. It talks about running. And there are often two questions that are, per- this is specifically UK generally, but I imagine most of the Western world, ask to think, is my faith going well? They would be, how often do I read my Bible? How often do I pray? If those two questions are good, we're good. That's it. But anyone, who know, anyone who's been a Christian long enough knows faith is a lot more complex than that. There is more than those two questions. And those questions can actually mean, mean, mean nothing in, in of themselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. J.I. Packer says, People who know their God are before anything else are people who pray. The question of prayer is a good one. Those two questions people ask is much more complex, but prayer is a good one. Not just prayer, me, me and Jesus, but corporate prayer as well. Prayer, to see, if your prayer life is good in those, two, in those ways, there's a good chance you're, you're on the right lines. But it obviously, it's more complex than that. It's like someone doing a BMI test and someone say, average BMI, ready for the Olympics. No, it's more complex than that. I'm going to be speaking today on prayer. Surprise, surprise, we had a whole series on prayer over the summer. But the, t- the type of prayer I'm speaking about is prayer together, corporate prayer. Jesus says a lot about individual prayer. In fact, the Bible says Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. He prayed on his own. Even the prayer we looked at over the summer, the Lord's Prayer, it starts with, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door before your Father, who is unseen, and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So Jesus talks about individual prayer. But the 
uh, the Lord's Prayer, in, weaved into the fabric of that very prayer, is our Father, your, um, you, um, give us this day our daily bread. It's plural. So the actual prayer itself is pr- plural, but it starts as an individual line, and then it goes into plural. You almost can't separate the two. Corporate prayer and individual prayer are both important. They're both important. But in our country, we often think personal prayer is important. Corporate prayer is what we do when we've, when we've got nothing else to do with our, our evenings in the week. I'm going to read Acts 13. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I called him. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on him and sent them off. We're doing at the moment our vision series. So every, roughly about every year we go, we stop and we say, Okay, God, what are you saying to us? For this year, obviously, I'm hoping God says more speaks to us more than once a year, and He does. But once a year, we on per- we consciously press the pause and say, "God, this next for this next year, what are you saying to us?" And Martin's felt very strongly that Acts 13, this 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 church called Antioch, is is where he wants us to stay and sit for a while and say, "What's God?" He felt a, sort of a resign, resi- not resignation, resignation. Yes, thank you. With this verse. And we're going to see why a little bit. And he's, last, week we had, last week we had Hudson talking about community, and it was outstanding. This talk actually is almost, when I've heard his, it's almost like a part one and part two of the same message, to be honest. Now, now at this point, I'll get this baby on. Um, Christian prayer is less about individual running, and it's more about... Corporate running. This says Tough Mudder, and I know I'm bold and it looks like I'm Saturn, but this says Tough Mudder. Can we have a picture of my wife and her gang, please? These are, this is my lovely wife on the right, and these are her friends. And they, this, last year or this year, they competed in something called Tough Mudder. And I think Tough Mudder is a better illustration of the race. When we talk about a race, I think this is more like what the Bible talks about than an individual marathon. Tough Mudder is a race where they have, a, between, depending on the run they choose, 10 to 15 obstacles and um, about a mile run in between each obstacle. They run, they do an ob- ob- obstacle together, run to the next one, another obstacle. And they are, some of them are nasty, nasty obstacles. Some are massive big ice baths and they've got to go underneath some barrels in the ice water, come out the other end, and then run drenched for another mile some of them are electric, electric wires hanging out and they get shot. As you can imagine, I've not done it. I'm not paying £80 to get electrocuted, but Rachel loves it. So, but I think this is more like what prayer is like. A run together. A tough, a tough, I want you to remember this, this, this thing here. I'm not going to keep it in my head because it's very distracting and I do look stupid. So, but that is important to remember that. A lady called Megan Hill, who wrote a book called Praying Together, said, The New Testament's call to prayer includes everybody together. In our individualistic culture, we might be accustomed to receiving the apostles' familiar, be constant in prayer, and the, and the continued and steadfast prayer as directives for private devotion. 
But these commands are not simply imperatives for personal prayer, though they are certainly that. They are imperatives to the church. Tough mudder is not timed. So you don't need your time. It, doesn't, it doesn't, isn't timed. And the Christian faith, there's not, you're going you're gonna to live 84 years and that's that. No, it's not timed. You, you finish when you finish. Tough mudder, they, the goal is, all, four of them, oh, sorry, four of them, all four of us will finish together. That's the goal, finish together. And the Bible, the Bible has, has, is in, in, weaving in the theology of the Bible is community, is togetherness. The God we worship, as Hudson said last week, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Straight from the beginning, he is a community, and he makes man in his image. We are community. It's weaved into our very, our very being. We see the Old Testament, we see the book of Psalms. 150, we read it now, we don't quite to read it, but actually these would have been songs that were sung by the Israelites together in church. They were poems and songs that were actually used together as, as a corporate thing. So my mouth's getting dry. Isaiah says in Isaiah, and Jesus quotes this verse as well later, my house should be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The book of Esther she calls the people of Israel to pray, to pray and fast for deliverance together. All of them together, and they do, and they're delivered. We then come to Acts. And we wonder if, if it, Jesus comes, it changes into an individualistic thing, but it doesn't. It's exactly the same. Megan, Megan Hill says again, in its 28 chapters, occasions of praying together are mentioned explicitly 20 times and implicitly many more. Then we read the books that Paul wrote. And sometimes he couldn't literally go back to people, but he wrote letters. And when you read the letters, when you read the letters, you see it, he, it's the emotion behind it. And he, he, 1 Corinthians, he, he's saying, come on, you can, come on, get up, get up, get up, get up we need to finish. He didn't just plant a church and disappear and just say, okay, sovereign God, over to you now. He would look back, he'd see how they're doing, he'd send them a letter, metaphorically run back and try and pick them up again and try and run with them. Paul, Paul's faith, for him, completeness of faith and finishing the race well meant finishing with others well. Then we see Jesus On the, at Gethsemane, right at the end of his life. He faces the ultimate battle, and that's the, to die, and, die on the cross for us. And in the time of his Deepest hell, literally hell. When you think that, right, I need to get before God on my own, he brings three people with him. It's time of deepest need in the most pain, the pain that we cannot imagine, mental trauma, emotional trauma before the physical trauma, and he still brings three guys with him. I know when I'm struggling, I want to go and hide. I want to be on my own. Jesus takes the disciples with him. Jesus modelled corporate prayer to us. And what do the the disciples do? They fall asleep. He goes and prays and comes back and says, watch and pray, wake up, watch and pray. They fall asleep. Does that a few times and they fall asleep. And that's been the model of Christian prayer ever since. We fall asleep. For me, corporate prayer is not something I've massively enjoyed over the years many many times I'll be honest the truth is if there was a church prayer meeting going on and I had two other activities in the week I'd be like Bleh. 
No, I've got, I've got a busy week. I've given, I've given enough. Thinking that corporate prayer was about what I can give. Actually, the Bible suggests that what corporate prayer does to us is as significant as what we can give to it. And since I've been at Woodside, there have been four okay. I've been at Woodside now for about 20 years. Um, in those 20 years, I can think of four occasions that were, were mind-blowing, were like really important to my faith, four moments. One was when my younger brother, who had really bad asthma, I felt for one of the first times of hearing God speak, I felt God say to me, take him to one of our leaders who was called Joel at the time. He used to be here. Take Josh to Joel and get Josh to pray for, uh, Joel to pray for his asthma. And I didn't know what I thought of that, but I said, okay. So I went, found Joel and said, Josh, I think God told me to get you to get prayed for. And he went to the front. Joel prayed for him and he's never had asthma since. And he had bad, his asthma was bad. He, he would go and regularly, thank you, regularly in the summer he would be in a nebulizer. It was regular. And then it stopped after that day, basically. That was one. Another one was my friend, my best friend, had just, we'd, we, were going, we were actually going to a family meeting at the time, and, and he was telling me about his shins, and he had bad shin splints and back pain, and he was facing a job situation where he was having to go crossroads. We went to this meeting, and there was a guy, a prophetic guy, and he said, you over there, made him stand up and said, you've got shin splints, you're at a crossroads in your job. Everything he'd said to me, this guy said exactly word for word to him. And that changed his faith. That was the second most, most incredible time. Third was I was at the seat where basically where Tim Atkins is, from exactly the same spot. And, and a lady came up in front and spoke in a gift of tongues, which is, we believe is a, a language that God gives to her. And as, as that happened, I was baptized for the first time in the Holy Spirit at that seat. And I had felt the presence of God on me, and I'd never experienced that before. That was the third. And the fourth was a prayer meeting. It was a prayer meeting where our current, uh, one of our elders, Martin, had, had a heart attack. And we had a prayer meeting in this building, and, and it was an emergency message gone out, we must pray, Martin's effectively had a heart attack, and it was touch and go, it was genuinely life-threatening. And I came to this prayer meeting, I stood over in the corner over there, and I was sort of early, and then I saw people coming in this building, and I saw it filling up, and filling up, and filling up, and I saw people, what I would class call a prayer warrior, someone who I'm like, they're like, oh my goodness me, if I want someone praying for me, it's them. Then they all started coming in, like an army. It felt like I was watching tanks come into the building. And in that moment, I thought, it's done. It's done. And I've never had that experience where I thought, he's, he's, he's okay. I know he's going to be okay. And we prayed, and it, was almost, it felt almost like, um, almost like there was a hum of electricity in the place. You were just like, oh my Goodness me, this is, uh, this is different. I've not experienced this before. And sure enough, as we know, he's still here. He's, he, he was <laughs> we know the end of that story. But, but that moment taught me something about corporate prayer that, that has stayed with me forever. In this book in Acts, there are... F- oh, sorry, let me just quote this. this. I'm going to use this quote from a guy called John Onwichekwa. He says, the church practices, A church that practices prayer is more than a church that learns. It's also a church that leans. It's more than a church that knows. It's a church that feels. It, we learn dependence by leaning on God together. Now, in this, book, in this chapter in Acts I'm going to read, there are five things I believe you can get out of it that teach us about corporate prayer. First of all, we see a guy called Barnabas, 
These guys all come together. Barnabas, who in the Bible is also called the son of encouragement. First thing we learn when we pray together, I'm going to nick the first two, is we, we are learning. We learn. Imagine going into a prayer meeting with the son of encouragement. Imagine hearing how he prayed. I, I genuinely would love to have been there and heard Barnabas pray. I genuinely would have loved to have heard what Paul, the Apostle Paul's prayer life was like. These people gathered together and, and you would have learned. You would have seen these people and praying. I recent, I, not too long ago, we started a six o'clock in the morning prayer meeting. Now, I didn't do that because I'm super godly. I did that because I knew if I didn't run it, I wouldn't go to it. That's true. I know somebody, somebody needs to unlock the building. So I thought, okay, the only way I think I'm going to be able to get there is if I start it. But I've, since I've been there, I've learned from people like Susie. Susie's praying is unbelievable. I see, I, I, I see her tears stream as she prays and see the genuine connection with God that she has when she prays. I see Jonathan pray very quietly but confidently in his, his standing before God. And I learn something about silent prayer that I don't, I don't often use. I see Ruth. We know Ruth. And I see the excitement, but it's not fake. We see the excitement that she has for God. We see Charles Possessor pray. And he teaches me something about the mighty nature of God. I learn as I go to that prayer meeting. Do you want to put the video on, please? Where is she? You were just caught on camera smacking my wife's bum. Um, I'll show that video because that was Tough Mudder. That was, and to, uh, that was an event where she, Rachel had to face and the gang had to face some gruelling stuff. And then we came to this obstacle where, to be fair, Rachel looked like she'd suddenly lost the use of her legs. She couldn't do it. She literally couldn't do it. She was absolutely helpless. That is how I feel like on a Tuesday morning. That is how I feel on a Tuesday morning. I'm amongst these incredible men and women of God, and I'm dragged, dragged into God's presence. And that's what prayer is like for most of us. That's why there's like, the other day I googled books on prayer, and it said, the hundred best books on prayer. Because we keep reading it and thinking, this is going to make me better at prayer, and it doesn't. We read another one, and you go, oh, it's great, and then it comes to it, and we fall asleep. And we read another one, and we fall asleep, because prayer is hard. It's hard for all of us. You can give it a nice title, you can call it consumed, whatever you like, but I promise you it's hard. It's hard work. If you think you don't go to a prayer meeting because you think you won't bring anything, you can pray silently. You don't have to pray out loud. Your silent prayers are as important as the ones who pray out loud. It doesn't matter if it's quiet or not. You can bring what you, what you bring to a prayer meeting is incredible, even if you're not one of the ones who prays out loud, heard by other people. If you're worried about how you're going to word something when you pray, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God doesn't listen to that anyway. He listens to what's going on, what's really going on. Let's, let's pray because we can learn from one another. We can sit there and learn. If you're, a younger, if you're a younger person who wants to be a leader, you want to grow in your faith generally, go to a prayer meeting. 
You will learn to pray. You can read as many books as you want, but go to a prayer meeting. Then you will learn how to pray. Second one, we're leaning. This is a very quick one. Fundamentally, the truth is we can build a church without God. We can do it. We can make it look fantastic. We can make it slick. We can make it run smoothly, and it can be void of God. We want to be a church that fundamentally lean on God. When push comes to shove, we are a people who say, God, we want lean on you, so much so that if you're not there, we're falling. That's, that's what we want to be, a church that leans. We want to be a church that learns. We want to be a church that leans. Prayer, have we got any really tall people here? I don't think so. Samuel's not here. Goliath's not here. Anyone, anyone over six foot two here? No. Okay. That's okay. I can still make the point on my own. Third thing, beginning with an L, is we are level. Spiritually speaking, we're a level. It doesn't matter if you're a consultant, doesn't matter if you're unemployed, doesn't matter if you're academic, you're non-academic. When it comes to prayer, when it boils down to what really counts, when we get on our knees before God, we're the same height. Because before God, we're all level. And that is one of the powerful things about corporate prayer is when we come together, we realize it doesn't matter that this guy knows more than I do or this woman is incredibly eloquent. We are level before God. And that's how God wants us to see prayer. We are level before we all come as children, equal children to Father. And he hears our prayer. Fourthly, we are lifted. When we pray corporately, something I learned during COVID, something that happened to me is someone said earlier, who said Someone say something like small pocket-sized God or someone. Who said something about small God in the worship? Yes. What was the word used? Yes, that's right. I've, and, and this happens, happens to me as well. This happens when we spend all our prayer time praying on our own. Praying for our life, our family, our little circle. That's what I pray. Let's be honest. That's what we do when we pray. Sometimes we get a moment, a world crisis happens and we pray. Then we slowly slip back into, Lord, I pray for my children, I pray for my wife, I pray for my family. Amen. When we, come, when we pray corporately, it lifts us. In this story in Acts, who do they send? Do you remember who they sent? Barnabas and Saul. Two of the most incredible men who have ever lived. Ever lived. That's like Arsenal sending Gabriel Jesus. Or you sit Manchester City sending Haaland. They, they sent their very best they didn't, because they had a bigger vision of God. They're like, God, we'll, we'll lift our heads and we see your grand plan, so we'll send you our best. When we pray, we'll, we lift our heads and see the, grand, the size of God. And fifthly, when we pray corporately, we often, not always... We often hear God. And that's what happened in this story. They heard God. And it's not foolproof, but prayer is, is a conversation. It's a talk, talking with God, and often that, that conversation comes back. And we hear God together. We don't just rely on one man on the stage to tell us what God's saying to us. We believe when we come together, God speaks to us. So, we, so we're listening. Um, I, I was asked specifically, originally actually, I was asked to do a talk on fasting. So off I went, read three books on fasting. 
And then Martin said, actually, no, no. Actually, I want you to talk about corporate prayer. Great. Thanks a lot, mate. But it means this is going to be an incredible point. <laughs> the best, most full point you've ever heard. Um, and talk about fasting for a little bit. Because in this story, it says they prayed and fasted, and they worshipped and fasted. You can't, I can't really read this verse and not touch on fasting, because it's mentioned more than anything else in that. John Piper says, Fasting is a temporary uh, renunciation of something that is good in itself, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. Fasting does a few things. I want to try and explain a little bit of what fasting is, because I think, me included, in fact, I stopped fasting for five years because I didn't know where I stood and what it was actually about. I thought I knew, but I wasn't sure, so I stopped. Five years later, I realised, I read some stuff on it recently, and I realised, okay, yeah, I, okay, I got, I've got a clear ahead now. First thing fasting does is it focuses our attention up. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God's mouth. When I fast, what, what happens is I say, God, my belly rumbles, and then I say, God, I'm very hungry, but I'm more hungry for your work in my life. That is what happens. That's what I do. And ultimately, that is what fasting is. It places what's important as what's, in most, what's most important as most important. We can get on with our lives and everything's great. But fasting is almost a pause, full stop, and says, hang on, God, I am hungry. Things are difficult for me, but Lord, more than anything, I need you. I need a lot of you in my life, more of you in my life. That's what happens when I fast. It focuses your attention up. Phil Moore said, fasting is therefore, first and foremost, an act of worship. The the foregoing of food for a season as an expression of our delight in the Lord's presence and proclamation that we prize. His, we prize his love more than bread, wine, and other tasty comforts on our table. First thing it does is it focuses our attention up. God, I need you. Second thing it does is it focuses our attention forward. When you read the Bible, often it's equated with the kingdom coming. Matthew 9 says, so the, but the Pharisees approached, these religious people approached Jesus and said, why don't you fast? We all fast. And Jesus says, can, a wed- can wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. They, w- they didn't fast. His people didn't fast because he was there. Pause. Pause. And then you look at, and now we say, he's, he's here in spirit, but the Bible, Bible's promises of his return haven't happened yet. He's not returned yet. So we fast. Because we say, God, we want you back. I think the word is Maranatha. I think it means, come, Lord Jesus. So the second reason we fast is to say, God, this is all, this, my life is great at the moment. It might be great, it might not be great. But you might be saying, my life is great right now. But it's not complete until you return. Come, Lord Jesus. So you can imagine what that does to your faith as well. Lift you up. Focus up. See the greatness of God, I need you. Focus forward saying, please come back soon, which the Revelation talks regularly about the people praying, come back soon. It focuses in. When you fast, something strange... Now, the Bible, doesn't, the Bible hints at it, and thinking as Isaiah, it hints at it, but something happens when you fast, and something happens when you eat. In, in, in the Old Testament, I can't remember, I think I've got the verse here. No, I haven't. The verse in Isaiah suggests that 
they, it says they had, it's all about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They had full bellies and there was pride in them. Something, there's a connection with sin and with full bellies. Can't, I don't know much more than that, but I can tell you this. When I fast, and a lot of people, books and books and books are written about this. When people fast, it exposes sin in them. The bubble sort of rises to the top. I remember going to somebody's house and they knew I was fasting. I'd gone, I'd gone there too fast and they cooked slow-cooked lamb. Slow-cooked! What the? Twelve hours! So they cooked slow-cooked lamb, and I thought, you, you, inconsiderate. But straight away, I, I noticed sin in me. First of all, I'd assume the worst of them. I'd assume they'd done it on purpose, which they hadn't. And me, my hunger makes me grouchy. It makes me short-fused. If you think fasting's going to make you more godly, it, doesn't. it does the opposite. It makes you more cranky. But, that, but what it does is it bubbles up sin. You think, okay, I thought I was doing all right. Turns out I'm still arrogant. I'm still, I'm still cranky. I'm still grumpy. And so it, does, it brings sin up and you say, God, change that in me. Fasting helps you to say, change that in me, Lord, when you think you're doing great. But it does also, the positive end of that is it helps you hear God. There is story after story after story of people fasting and as a result, God speaking, or, or not as a result, maybe they, their hearing is better. I don't know which one it is, which one of those it is. We see that in the book of Daniel. We see that all over the Bible. So when you fast, it's, what was the, what was the, I've got to try and help you remember these words. So we got, oh no, oh well, let's hope for the best. Focus up, focus forward, focus in. Helps, you, helps your prayers focus. Helps your prayers focus much more. When your belly goes, I tell you what, your prayers, you think, oh, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat. No, 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 I'm going to pray. And you are, it's like setting an alarm on your phone every half an hour. Okay, let's go in again. Lord God, please. You learn something about perseverance in prayer when you fast. And I, I wonder how much of the reason God answers us when we fast is because we've prayed more intensely about something. Because we were hungry. Like, I'll do it again, I'll pray again. I'll go, okay, I've got to go and pray again. Do what Jesus done in Gethsemane. Go back, go back, go back. I, I, I wonder. Fifth one is focused firepower. Now, this is the one I thought fasting was all about. I thought fast, if I fast, God will answer my prayer. Hunger strike. But fasting doesn't actually work like that. Fasting is a lot more complex. But... Your fasting for a situation doesn't guarantee a result, doesn't. But if you fast, first and foremost, you fast because you want more of God in your life. That's why you fast. I'm hungry for you. But through history and through the Bible, examples being Acts, this story, they fast, God speaks to them, they send the best. And then, and then those two who go causes the big mission, biggest missionary breakthrough in history as, the, as a result of this. This is where, where the gospel goes to Asia, boom, to the world. We see Esther, the people fast, and he saves the people of Israel. I can't, I can't say as a guarantee that when you fast, your prayer will be answered. I can't say that. The Bible, the Bible doesn't say. There's nowhere in the Bible that says if you fast, God will answer your prayer. But there is suggestions and hints that when you fast that God can change situations. And it happened, it's happened throughout history, not just biblical history. The stories in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s that I've read where people have fasted and a breakthrough has happened. 
right. Let's close our eyes a second. Lord God, I pray, Father, that we would be a church who primarily are a church who lean. Lord, let us be a people who lean on you. Lord God, I pray, would you do something in our church in in area of corporate prayer, do something in our hearts, individually in our hearts, for the needs that we need to pray together. Do something, Lord. We see it all over the Bible. Now would you do it in us? Would you change our hearts? But would you do a move of God in a way that you haven't done for years in Woodside, especially in the area of prayer? Lord, we want to we see people saved and we know it ain't going to happen unless we're praying. God, change us, we pray. Move, in, move amongst us by the power of your spirit, we ask. Amen. Amen. That is all. Thank you, everybody. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.